0: There's just so much more to hear.
1: Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com. The Legal Hour this Monday. Legal Hour on Drive Live. Ludmilla Yamalova is here from Yamalova and Pleška. As always, very nice to see you.
2: Great to be here and good, good to see to you have all. you in.
1: Now, we're going to start with two questions today, actually. The first of those came in by email, and we'll come to the first question in my text from Mark in a second. Uh, here you go. This is quite a long question. Let me uh, run through this uh, at a reasonable pace. My tenant, a large U.S. corporation, gave me notice for early termination of our tenancy agreement. It's a two-bed apartment. They gave the requisite two months notice as per our contract. It moved out at the end of June this year. Miller. tenancy expiry date, Feb 2018. Now, the tenant wants reimbursement for July to February, less three months, which is a penalty for early termination. So far, so good. However, our contract states the following. Uh, In the event of the 12-month tenancy contract terminated early by the tenant, they agreed to give two months notice and the rental monies will be paid to the landlord until the release of the apartment to a new tenant for the same amount of rental Received or more, I have not and will not be able to replace the tenants with anything close to what I was getting, uh, 187,000 a year versus market rates now of 140,000. This person is asking, do you think the court would apply clause 21 or deem three months alternative reimbursement uh, reimbursement more reasonable? My family and I are moving into the apartment as a result, this person is saying. What, what do you think about that?
2: Well, there are a number of things I wanted to uh, highlight about this very specific scenario, but hey. but let me first answer the question and then I'll make uh, just general observations afterwards. So what the, uh, the question here is one related to a legal principle that's called liquidated damages, and that is penalty for early termination of a contract. And it, this could apply to any contract, a rental or any other commercial contract. So it sounds like from... The, the 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 draft of the contract the penalty that is in the contract is um, the, for early termination is 3 months plus a 2 months notice which uh, which was given and the tenant is willing to pay the 3 months penalty as per actually sorry the contract says actually something else but the tenant is willing to pay 3 months penalty uh, for early termination but the, the contract is a lot more broad if you will in terms of what liquidated damages would be hmm. now there is a principle in the UAE law that judges the liquidated damages generally speaking are allowed, and the liquidated damages basically is a penalty for the termination of a contract so liquidated damages are allowed however, courts do have the discretion or the authority to uh, to decrease liquidated damages and even though they um, there's perhaps a, a formula, a fairly specific formula in the contract. They cannot increase them, but they can decrease them. Now, what it means in this particular case, so let's say uh, there's a – and this is the, the general comment I wanted to make. I was trying to figure out when to comment on it because the clause, as you read I- in the contract, is so incredibly broad that it actually can be read as to potentially go into perpetuity. In other words, if you read specific, the more closely the, the clause – It gives the landlord the authority to con- to collect rent from the tenant until they find somebody, a new tenant, that will pay that same amount. What if you don't find the tenant that will pay mm-hmm. you that same amount? And so, in fact, the landlord in this case admitted that the rent is a lot lower. What does that mean? Can you then, if you actually use that, term, uh, that interpretation of the clause uh, literally, then you truly could be from year to year, you can continue to have the same, uh, hold the same tenant responsible for the original rent because you as a landlord can no longer find a new tenant that will pay that same amount so do you see so that clause the way it's drafted is highly unreasonable and and very vague and will not be enforced in in this jurisdiction or any other jurisdiction that's why i'm surprised that the tenant actually signed up to a the tenant being a large american corporation uh, whoever read or si- uh, gave the sign off on signing on uh, agreeing to that term was not very well uh, prepared or well versed. Trying in to be so terms. polite, Ludmilla. You're like, well, <laughs> yeah. They were
0: just not reading closely enough. <laughs> well,
2: I, well, I, I have to believe that they read, but they just must not have understood it correctly. Mm. Um, anyway, so that was a, a very, a very broadly drafted uh, clause that would not be, uh, would not be enforced in his jurisdiction. But let's say, even if the clause, the liquid damages clause was more narrowly drafted and more reasonable or uh, or more, um, I guess, more limited in terms of time frame, because in this case it could go on forever. Even then, the court has the authority to take it down if the damages that are suffered by the landlord, in fact, do not quite correspond with the amount of liquidated damages clause. So uh, the, the landlord in this particular question did add, use the word reasonable. And so that's also the standard that the court would look. What was reasonable? What would be the reasonable liquidated damages? So in this case, since the tenant did offer three months, the chances are that the court would uh, would accept the three months versus enforcing this this otherwise very broad definition of liquidated damages. So that's the legal side of the equation. But in practical terms, what can the landlord do in this case? Because the landlord has already, sounds like, cashed the check for the remainder of the lease, which is about nine months. uh, And so... He or she already has cop, uh, the, the the money or the cash in the account. So now it's really the burden is on the tenant to do something in order to try to get the repayment of or refund of this um, of the lease, and that is it's the burden is in, on the tenant to file a case with the court or the RDC to claim the refund or um, uh, the remainder of the um, rental value. So, legally speaking, the uh,
1: assuming they've paid that all up front. Uh, well, based advance, on the question, it I'm sounds like they the have, uh, yeah.
2: yes, they've already paid. Yeah. So, really the burden here is on the tenant to pursue this, but um, would I what would be my recommendation to either party? I'd say it's just better to agree that um uh, just to accept the three months, it's quite actually quite reasonable under the circumstances. Mm. Uh, accept the three months and just shake hands and part ways instead of going down the route of legal uh, recourse.
0: And do you think that the, the landlord has sort of reduced the amount of damages they could be considered for because they've moved in as a result? Because they, can't, they can no longer say, look, this place is sitting empty. If they're using it, the, the damages surely are not as much as they would be if it was sitting there empty.
2: Well said and very well noted, and in fact, you're right. So in, in, if this case does proceed to RDC, it is possible for the, uh, for the tenant to actually argue that even three months at this point is too much because if the landlord moved in uh, themselves, uh, then they, would, they may have to prove to the court the actual damages that they have suffered as a result of this early termination. And if, since they moved in then themselves, then as, as Natalie correctly pointed out, they've basically mitigated their own uh, losses.
1: And they seem to have been reasonable, three months here. It seems to me the tenant is not responsible for how a market
2: acts. Well, well, for sure. And if you think about the the full context of this relationship, so there was a two-month notice, so already mm-hmm. the landlord knew for two months and then and plus three more months. So that's five months after the uh, the tenant had been in the apartment. I think my calculation was something like four months or so, three or four months. Yeah. Um, so it's fairly, it's fairly generous, if you will. Uh, but that's, that. but that's what you do when you commit to something you need to be, you need to be able to, or you need to accept the responsibility of having to pay additional amounts or as penalty by virtue of uh, terminating the relationship early. Uh, but um, otherwise, these are market conditions, and uh, this is just goes with the territory. Whenever you own property, prices go up and down, and unfortunately, that's just the nature of the beast, as the saying goes. And the tenant cannot be held responsible for the fact that the market value has has fallen. And but even um,
0: even if the property was um, so, you know, they've given the five months, so there's three month, the two months notice period, and the three months um, that they've given as a penalty. If that apartment or property is filled. Within any of those three months, even the difference at what is it one eight one eight seven and one forty mm-hmm. one month's rent would cover the disparity anyway. So I really don't I don't see there's much of an argument here. To be honest,
2: there isn't. But- but there's always there's also the idea of sanctity of contract so when parties do agree to uh, to a particular arrangements uh, the courts do not necessarily want to override all of that so they do want to preserve some sort of concept of sanctity of contract and they honor the contract so if the contract is well drafted and if it's narrowly drafted and the damages are at least reasonably drafted and reasonably calculated then Then the chance there is an argument for the court to enforce a contract like that or a clause like that. But when clauses are too broad, then it just it gives it you, you don't help the court in trying to basically argue your your side of the story.
1: Our first question in today, Ludmilla Oliver is our legal expert today on The Legal Hour. If you have a question for Ludmilla, usual numbers apply, 4001 via the free app, four two We've got lots to get to. Get questions in as early as you can. Plus, we're going to be talking commercial transactions, the James Bond of Dubai, and also property scammers too. This is Drive Live
2: on Dubai i 103.8.
1: Drive Live and the Legal Hour, Ludmilla Ymalova is here from Ymalova and Pleska. Let's go to the phone line. Zaid should be on the line with us. Zaid, it's good to have you. Hi. On. How are you? Hi. Hi, how are you? Not bad, thank you. So you've got a question for Ludmilla. Um, yeah. You have bought off plan, am I right? But there are a few issues that you're facing. Is that fair to say, Zaid? Yes,
3: uh, I bought a flat 2006. Right. And I had only
1: the couple
3: reservation for, right. and that's saying that, let's say I pay 40%, and the 20% supposed to be uh, up and completion, right. and we put up and completion slash 2011. And <laughs> since 2011 and 2017, so I just forget about it. And so recently I just follow up with the developer and they said, no, because of the X1 everything, they are refunding and they can't finish the projects. Two twenty is supposed to be complete. So they advised me to do and make a contract. They have a contract. So I asked them, I want the same contract that my peers and that time they already signed it. So they sent me the contract, the draft contract, but they changed the completion date to 2020 then I will not be eligible to claim any compensation, which is 44% for each year's delay in the same contract, the draft one. So they want me to sign the new contract saying that the delivery date of the project mm-hmm. 2020, not 2011 as per my irrevocable reservation form. So mm-hmm. I don't know what to do now. Okay. I, I cannot claim my things or I can go to court and claim it or that's it. I just have to forget about the 10 mm-hmm. years
1: back. And you've been waiting for this since 2006. So you've been waiting 11 years. Yes. Exactly. Having paid what 60 percent? 40 percent. No, 40 percent, and you do pay 20. And 20 is supposed to be on, yeah, okay. on completion. Okay. Uh, and you just want a perspective from Lud Miller, I guess, on what uh, where you stand. Yes. All right, Lud Miller.
2: Uh, Say, so let me just clarify a few things. You said you paid 40 percent and 20 percent completion, or 60 percent on completion. No,
1: 40 percent.
3: It was 5% each 3 months links to constructions, even though it was not linked to constructions. But they forced us, they said, if you will not pay, we will cancel everything and you will not have anything. So we have paid it until we reached the 40%. Now, the 20% is supposed to be up on completion date slash 2011. It was this sentence plus the date. Why we put this one? I forced them to put this one because if 2011 will pass, they will force me to pay 20% even there is no construction. Okay. So I put that sentence. They said, okay, this is the deal to put the statement plus 2011.
2: And the new so contract, gonna, yeah. and the new contract yeah. you're being asked to sign, it's for the same project, the same property? Or? Same, everything,
3: same, no any
2: changes happen. Okay, Nothing. so now you have two options. One option is to cancel the contract, and the other option is to, con- well, I guess three options cancel the contract continue on with the existing contract or third accept the new contract let me come walk you one by one so if you um, if you cancel the contract the only way to really cancel the contract is for you to file a case with the court if you do and uh, and in, in your case what you would what you would claim is what's called a breach of contract and the breach is by virtue of the fact that obviously the property was not delivered as per the original contract which was going interrupt to you go ahead yeah
3: yeah No... Earlier, I don't have a contract. I have a revocable reservation, apartment apartment reservation. Is actually that's what I, they are doing now. They are proposing a contract to me to sign. Sure. But earlier, I don't have any. Like, okay, it's it's a know. it's, it's yeah. a, actually it's a great yeah.
2: comment, and it links to a topic I wanted to discuss at today's show uh, if okay, we get sorry. to it. No, no, it's it's not, it's not. So I'm glad I'm glad you raised raise it right now. So you made a very interesting comment, and that is you don't have a contract. And so here, let me just to clarify the definition of a contract. For a contract to be a contract, it doesn't have to say I'm a contract. Any uh, okay. any any piece of paper can be a contract. A contract could also be a verbal contract. And it just becomes a matter of what are the terms of that contract. So your reservation agreement is a contract. Whenever there's any kind of exchange of of services or goods, uh, then there's a contract. So obviously you gave money, so you gave money for something, so in exchange for something else. And the exchange in your case was going to be the delivery of property. So there is a contract, there's a contractual relationship. The terms of that contract is something for the court to determine, and it would be determined either uh, uh, on the basis of the various correspondence, or updates, um, whatever other documents that you have between you and the developer or it would just be for the court to interpret on the basis of whatever information um, the court deems relevant. Uh, So there is a contractual relationship and just because you don't have what's called, you often refer to an SPA, or sales and purchase agreement does not mean that you do not have an enforceable contract. So what you can do is you, one option is for you to to cancel this contractual relationship the original contractual relationship it sounds like there are enough, enough documents um, where at least it shows the original anticipated completion date which is going to be 2011 so therefore that date has already passed and therefore you can claim that the contract has already been breached by virtue of the fact that the developer did not deliver the property timely when you cancel the contract however you have to your only remedy then is and it, and this has to be done through the court. But the only remedy you can ask for, and this is as per the UAE contract law, is penal is a, a reinstatement of the parties into the, the original position. So in your case, it's a refund of your original investment plus uh, legal interest on every year. Oh, uh, actually, it's for every year from the time you filed the complaint. So let's say in your case, let's say just use a ra- ra- random number. You invested your forty percent. It was one million dirhams. So if you claim breach of contract and then cancellation of the contract, then you will ask. You need to ask the court to get it to uh, for a refund of you one million and then also whatever legally appropriate interest rate, which is about nine to twelve percent per year. But it only starts uh, ticking from the time you filed the complaint. So if your case goes for another two years, so let's say you have the one million plus another. Uh, approximately 10 10 uh, percent for every year of, um, uh, of of the litigation so that's one option the other option if you just you just maintain the status quo and that is you keep things as they are and this is why i asked you if you have if the property is the same and it's the same development because then sounds like the the documents you have signed so far there is you said something about there is there's a, already a penalty included in there something about 40 percent or forty forty four 44 percent for every year what was it again 4% per year. 4% per year. So, if you may if you keep the contract the original contract uh, contract as is, then you can also claim uh, the penalty for the delay delay as per the contract, which is the 4%. So, you need to then calculate commercially what makes more sense for you to uh, file a, a case with the court and, and ask for a refund plus the 9 to 12% interest for every year of litigation or keep this uh, keep this particular project and keep this contract and then just ask the court to give you the 4% or even the developer to give you the four percent for every year of delay, yes. so that's your other option. And the third option, obviously, is for you to accept the new contract and um, and just be, and and by by doing so you are walking away from the additional penalties that you would otherwise be entitled to um, under the first two options. But it may be, but the other two options, the, I guess the pluses and minuses, the other two options would almost necessarily entail um, going to court. And every time you go to court, you have to spend money and, and uh, court fees and so on and so forth. So commercially, it might be yeah. more expensive and also emotionally more, uh, more taxing for you yeah. to, uh, to go with litigation than just to agree with the developer. So at that point, it becomes a commercial and personal decision. So, so the,
3: the the idea is: Do I? am in a good position to negotiate with him the new contracts, at least to to cut some of the compensations and do something, little bit may more fair to me. Then I can sign the new one. As I'm, am I in a positions to negotiate
2: this one? Uh, for sure. There's always, any part, in any yeah. contractual relationship, there's always uh, an opportunity to negotiate. And, and legally speaking, yes, you're in a good position. Uh, practically speaking, I will tell you from experience, developers do not really negotiate very much unless there is an, an actual court case. So oh. you can try, okay. but, be, but manage your expectations. Yeah.
1: Zaid, okay. I hope that's helped you. Do you feel like you yeah. have the energy to keep fighting? Do you feel as though this developer's going to finish <laughs> it
2: by 2020?
3: By I- don't know, really. But if they didn't finish 2020, there's no way they will finish it because this is the export time and they have
1: to do it. You would think so. 14 years strikes me as yeah. an awfully long time. Uh, all the best, Dave. Yeah. Hey. Thank you for calling. I hope Ludmilla's okay. helped Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, that's uh, the first half an hour of uh, the Legal Hour today. It's an unbelievable uh, situation. Any texts in questions for Ludmilla? We've got three, four, five, uh, loads to get to. But get them in as early as possible. Back with more questions after the news no matter your preferred communication stay in touch with drive live only on dubai eye 103.8 535 we're talking bitcoins now legal hour on drive live i know i know i kind of glazed over but there was a question in and it's interesting this because i've got to be honest and tell you the bitcoins and i i i don't know i find it very hard to understand admiral your bureau okay favourite with bitcoins
2: yeah, no i cannot <laughs> tell you i'm a favorite it's it's a, it's a that i I've like
0: followed. I like the hesitation there. You were questioning whether to lie or not and then decided to go with the truth. I like it. The whole truth and nothing
1: but died. the truth there. Yes. But it, it is an interesting question. Is there a law that prohibits Bitcoin mining in the UAE? And I thought, hold on a minute. Let's re-examine this for a moment. Bitcoins um, come from this. With Paper money. A government decides when to print and distribute money. That we understand. Bitcoin doesn't have a central government now. So it's a method of online, uh, secure online payment in theory. Now, with Bitcoin, miners use special software to solve math problems and are issued a certain number of Bitcoins in exchange. So that provides a smart way to issue the currency, also creates an incentive for more people to mine. So that's a relationship that you can understand working side by He's side. It's more
2: articulate. Tim, uh, thanks Sounds i'm reading
1: like- from the internet <laughs> bitcoin miners help keep the bitcoin network secure by approving transactions okay mining is an important and integral part of bitcoin that ensures fairness while keeping the bitcoin network stable safe and secure so i kind of understand part of that but is it legal here in the uae this person's asking
2: there is i will tell you this there's no law that makes it illegal okay now that doesn't necessarily mean that it will always be considered legal. It may be that the government will introduce regulation, not necessarily making it illegal, but regulating it to some extent. But right now, there is no law that makes it illegal. And But I know that there are Bitcoin machines That are already used uh, around here. So in practical terms, um, Bitcoin is already being used in the UAE. And I know that there are a number of initiatives um, that are studying the sort of, I guess, the, the concept of Bitcoin and how it potentially can be introduced into the UAE. So for now, it's still it's just one of those the new kids on the block, which is and it's a wait and see concept.
1: So, cryptocurrency ain't taken over just yet, essentially. That's what we know. But I hope that answers the question. That's.
0: But um, also,
2: you know, how would you regulate it, right? Because it's all in this virtual world, and that's really what it, what it comes down to. Because right now, it's just… It's, it's, it's decentralized, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and how around you- the world,
0: there's quite a dispute between whether it's going to be a currency or a commodity, and that's going to have lots of implications down the line. If Europe says it's a currency for tax reasons, elsewhere it's de- deemed as a commodity, there could be all sorts of problems there. Okay, can we move on from Bitcoins because sure, I don't ready. understand them <laughs> at all? Yeah, because then you got
1: into commodities and then there was a quagmire appearing. Mm.
0: Okay. <laughs> I was going down a rabbit hole. Let's, let's come back. Right. This uh, text is from Mark. He says, hi, I had uh, given a business loan to a company a few years ago. Until recently, they were paying interest on the loan. However, they've not paid any interest in the past two months when I deposited the check for the principal amount. It bounced. What options do I have? Aside from the checks, I don't have any agreement or document that states the purpose of the checks okay, so the two
2: ideas here one is a contract and the con- contract being the business loan and obviously then the terms of the breach of that particular uh, loan and then the other one is the check and these two actually even though they were issued or I guess they were executed as part of the same transaction being this loan agreement in fact in legal terms are two separate legal concepts the the check and the contract so what you you have two options or you actually have multiple options but in legal terms you have you can either pursue the breach of contract or you can you can just pursue the uh, the bounce check and so let me walk you through uh, both of those with regards to and this is your better option with the bounce check you don't need to prove to the authorities the context in which that check was issued so the check in of itself is is, is treated as a separate legal instrument and a separate legal obli- obligation this is why as i said even though it was issued as part of the same commercial transaction in legal terms it is it is treated as a separate legal instrument so therefore you don't need to present any other documents to uh, to justify its issuance um, so that 's from a legal standpoint, also from the practical standpoint it 's your best or strongest leverage in, in terms of uh, in terms of having your loan repaid and that 's obviously provided uh, for the fact that the person who issued the check or the company that issued the check is actually still here, and there is somebody here for you to pursue. But with having a, b- a bounced check you don't you, this is a criminal proceeding, and it 's a much lesser or a burden of proof because you, need to, you just, all you need to do is just go to the police, show the check. And then they will issue the um, the, the warrant uh, for the issue of the check. And until that check is cleared, um, that person remains on the hook, and that's a her- criminal hook. So, as leverage-wise, that's your best um, that's your best um, strategy. Now, with regards to the loan contract, and this is actually quite um, a nuanced legal uh, legal idea, and that is, in the UAE, a, a loan only certain institutions are allowed to legally give loans. And that is, obviously, financial institutions, they have the authority and they have the, the, uh, the proper licensing, or, uh, licensing to give loans. Um, apart from any other institutions that are actually properly licensed, you're not really allowed to give loans so that's a commercial concept in the uae so therefore if you actually wanted to pursue this the repayment of this business loan you have to be careful because very often these if you you didn't have the authority or your license to give out loans um this this very loan could be considered completely void and then also there's also a lot of loans are structured especially when there is a, uh, there's a Uh, an interest paid on the loan Uh, and that's there's um, an Arabic term which by the way I don't speak Arabic but I know a few phrases here and there but it's called riba and that is basically it's against uh, it's against uh, Sharia to to charge uh, interest on a loan um so even either, even if there is a contract that would otherwise be enforceable, that part of the contract might not be uh but in your case, I mean you have a much better leverage anyway, and that is the check, so there's no reason for you to worry about uh or or even consider pursuing this um uh this loan unless there's some other reasons you wanted to do it. Uh, but this is, you know, the comment I make about a business loan is more of a general comment for all those other ones who are considering giving loans. Uh, be mindful that you might not have the authority to do so. So if you do want to invest in something, then structure it as an investment agreement versus a loan.
1: Okay. I mean, we get lots of questions about um, check and check issuance and checks bouncing. But simply put, to bounce a check is a criminal offense, and it is, that's across the UAE. doesn't matter if it's in Ajman or Dubai or wherever.
2: Uh, correct. So federal That's correct. Yes. So the penal, so criminal. When we're talking about the criminal offenses, it's under the UAE Penal Code, right. and this is the federal law. So therefore, it's the same laws that apply throughout the UAE, and it doesn't matter whether your check bounces here, or in Sharjah, or anywhere else. It will be. It's. It's a nationwide. Most. It's a, it ultimately becomes a block uh, on on your ability to travel. So, and what happens these days as well, especially in the, in, in the case of commercial checks or or bounced bounced uh, bounce checks the police does not always pursue the um that the person or the entity that's you know that's defaulted uh, they don't actively pursue but they that person or the, uh, the person would per, for example be uh, placed on you know, on uh, i don't want to call it the blacklist but this is for you know for lack of a better phrase uh, blacklist and so therefore whenever so instead of being actively pursued or followed what o- often happens is these days is that the authorities just wait until that person basically crosses paths with the authority and there could be a traffic incident for example whenever le- they're leaving the country or they're entering the country or whenever they need to renew anything uh, be it their uh, rta or their car registration or the emirates id so it's at that point in time that they will be uh, the authorities will be alerted and they will not be able to do these things until they've cleared uh, They've cleared this particular case now. Let me just make one more comment regarding checks as long as the uh, The moment the check is paid then that basically case if you will goes away So unlike other cases, it doesn't go on your record for example your criminal record So a check is and all it takes is just you just need to show up to the police pay them money and the whole thing goes away
1: Okay <laughs> Hopefully, uh, Mark, that helps you. And if you've been wondering about uh, checks or if I've had a question over that, that should cover it.
0: Yeah, we've got quite a lot of texts um, through for you, Ludmilla, so we'll try and get through these. One question with no name says, are banks allowed by law to block my bank account if they are informed that I've left my company or moving jobs? Also, are companies allowed to do that anyway without my consent? If not, what can I do about it?
2: In short, yes. Uh, both To both of those questions, uh, are b- banks allowed? Yes. And are companies allowed? Yes. Again, because everything is sort of linked to your Emirates ID and it's just it's not even so much companies that will notify the banks it's the authorities so because whenever you are moving jobs so your presumably your residencies is being cancelled and therefore your emirates id is being cancelled so the authorities are getting alerted and so there is an exchange of a cross exchange of information amongst authorities and banks and so therefore it's most of the time it's not so the company that's notified the banks it's it's other authorities uh, so so yes they're allowed to do this in but what we have seen in the last several years that it's happening less so so if uh, from memory four or five years ago it was just done by default whenever anyone was switching jobs the banks would actually freeze their accounts these days we are hearing the banks are a lot less, um, less, um, I guess, persistent in this regard. Or, and most of the time, they allow and they keep the accounts open. And this even happens for people when they've lost their jobs and they moved away. And as long as they're keeping their accounts otherwise current and paying their obligations, whatever they might be, uh, banks don't, you know, at least lately, they haven't really been making issues and they haven't been blocking accounts. But in your case, if that did happen, it's legally speaking, it's, it, it it is allowed.
1: With your bank, if you have, I mean, lots of people have, I don't know, a current account, a savings account, people may have a mortgage account, whatever, with a bank here. How, what's the obligation on you, uh, as somebody who accepts banking services, to provide banks with updated details? I don't know, um, your Emirates ID, your copy of that, your, your password, what should you be doing? Uh, uh, is there an
2: obligation? Great question. An obligation is—is uh, is there an obligation? All oh, depends on what you signed, right? But right. Uh, most of the time, people don't read what they sign, especially when it comes down to banks. and And we don't necessarily criticize them because banks do have fairly voluminous documents and uh, and many pages of legal legal jargon. So it's understandable that people might not understand what they're reading and what they're, what they're signing. Uh, but um so it really depends one but most I will tell you most of the documents they do actually have an obligation uh, for for the parties to keep the banks updated about their whereabouts which is obviously logical a uh, logical requirement now in so this if sense, you
1: get a visa renewed for example or you get a new emirates id for example just you should really just drop them in a copy it should be sure, almost a courtesy as a,
2: absolutely and this is yeah. just it's just a good practice business practice in general to to keep banks and any other institutions updated about your current current details but also well i'll tell you what banks do banks these days are a lot more proactive themselves so for example as far as companies are concerned the banks check in with companies every year whenever and ask for their for their license their renewed license and same with individuals more and more we're seeing banks actually reaching out uh, to their customers be it corporate or individuals and asking them for uh, for updated information
1: Okay, Ludmilla Maliver is our legal expert today. If you have a question for Ludmilla, get it in as quickly as possible. We've got a lot to get to. We haven't even got to most of our topics today. We'll fit in whatever we can after the break. We're going to be looking at uh, commissions and security checks. We'll come back to that. Visa questions uh, in here and developers' fees. We want to hear from you.
2: Find us on Facebook.
1: Tweet at i 1038 fm
0: you're listening to The Legal Hour on Drive Live with Tim Elliott and Natalie Lindo-Taylor. Our guest today is Ludmilla Yamalava. Miller, we've had so many texts in for you today and a quite a few phone calls, so try and get through as many of them as possible in the next nine minutes or so. We have one from Natalie. I promise this is not a question from me, guys. It's about visas. Natalie says, can dependent visas be transferred without cancellation when transferring employment visas from DIFC to DIC? Thank you. In short,
2: yes. Uh, and this is the best of it's, sometimes there, there are little differences between the different free zones but usually between free zones yes it is possible to put your dependents visas on hold until you've moved on to the new visa between the free zones between the free zones and ded there are it's more challenging but usually between free zones we have heard that yes it's possible but with one little nuance be, uh, between the dfc and and dic that is something i I'm, I haven't heard of that particular arrangement between these two free zones, so I would clarify with the authorities but in in principle yes uh, holding off or holding or putting visas on hold for dependence between free zones is is allowed
1: all right let's go to the phones uh let me see uh afternoon who's on the phone
3: yes hi this is Anwar.
1: Hi, Anwar. Good to have you on. I wasn't sure if you wanted to give your name or not, so I was trying to be uh, inconspicuous there. Interesting, your text. If you just run through what you said for Ludmilla. Anwar?
3: Yeah. Um, See, uh, when I joined my current employer in 2014, in my contract there was a long-term incentive this thing three years. So I should have received it in 2017, uh, February 2017. Uh, 2016, I brought it up to the attention of the management, and they said that they have missed to allocate the money in 2014. Um, So uh, they offered me something that vests in 2019, which I rejected. Now, if I resign or I get terminated, do I have the right to ask for the 2014 grant?
2: Uh, very good question. Yes, in short, yes, because this is, at least on the basis of what you've described, it sounds like this long, uh, long-term long incentive uh, is part of your overall employment contract and, and your compensation, and therefore the courts look at these kinds of arrangements as um, something that is... is Part of your your compensation, and therefore, and I will tell you, it's even irrespective of how it's drafted. So let's say a lot of the contracts will say something like this: You will get these um, uh, this compensation, this additional compensation, if you will have served, or or at the end of let's say three years. But usually, courts even in that case, if you resign, let's say at two and a half years, the courts will grant you the compensation for the first two and a half years, even if the contract has a restriction that you will only be entitled to it uh, if you serve in the company for three years and, th- and this is because courts look at these these types of compensation as something that you are you are earning and therefore by virtue of just being with the company and having stayed there for as long as you have you've already earned that so that condition that you have to actually have uh, worked for three years before you are entitled to any penny of it is um, most of the time is not hold um, held valid so yes in, in short you would be entitled to all of this
1: and more well, good news Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to have you on. All the best. That's uh, and what? Let's move on to another text. This uh, was interesting to me. My company's asked me for a security check to be left with them against commissions I had drawn. Is this legal? Uh, it's an insurance commission job.
2: A uh, very good question. In short, it's well, it's not illegal because if you agree to it, then you agree to it. It's, it. It also becomes a, a type of a contract, if you will. So sometimes if um the company are looking at this commission as kind of a loan so then they can ask for security it's as a security for a check as a security for that loan so it it depends on how it's structured but in your case if um if this is your commission that you have earned or that you're earning uh for them to ask for it it seems just a little odd in the context of uh, of employment Uh, and um so the best thing for you to do i mean it's it's a personal choice but um you don't need you not required to give them the check unless you want to
1: It does sound a little bit odd to me if it's particularly if it's retroactive if you're a particularly successful commission earner you've been doing very well in sales it strikes
2: me yeah i mean commissions well. again commissions even insur- especially in the insurance um, industry commissions are considered as part of the salary so it's just because it's 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 called commission doesn't mean this is not your salary and therefore i mean it's sort of like well i'll pay you your salary for for the next six months if you give me a post dated check for the these six months it's just it's a very odd request an employment contract it's it just doesn't make sense. Now, can they ask? Sure, they can. Do they have any legal standing to do so? No. But if you agree to it, for whatever reason, I, it's, you know, it's obviously a personal choice. But, I mean, to me, it's just, it just doesn't sound right, and I, I wouldn't agree to it.
1: It sounds as though people are dropping out of uh, insurance contracts, to me. And it's as though, well, maybe they'll drop out in six months' time. We've already paid your commission. We're going to try and claw that back.
2: Does well, that, uh, well, I'll tell you... What could be the reason? Uh, so, uh, one of the reasons, I would say, only based on our experience, we've, we've seen a lot of commission uh, arrangements, and that is often employees are paid commission in advance, in advance of actually earning that commission. So, right. for example they will and and but this is no one's fault but company's fault because companies often structure this compensation in the way that it allows for employees to draw into commission before it's actually been earned mm-hmm. and so in that case ultimately it's 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 more akin to a loan and in the case of a loan you can see why a company would want to ask for a security because they ultimately giving you a loan uh but um so i mean that's basically the, the the reason that i could imagine they're asking for this but in any event if it's if it's an employment arrangement you just you know, checks and post-dated checks are just not standard, and not—I mean—something that uh, you know, should not really be uh, accepted.
0: Okay, we have uh, a, another text in with no name. They say I'm a home—I'm a homeowner, and um, the service company assigned by the developer keeps raising fees without explanation, while the service level goes down. And um, they're not getting anywhere with Rira at the moment. What would you um, suggest they do?
2: It's a difficult one because. I mean, I'm assuming that the service fees we're talking about here is the these are the service fees um, that are paid to for maintaining the property. Now, by law, all service he- fees have to be approved by RERA. So, I would say first you want to you find out or ask the company to give you a, a documentation from rear that shows that actually those fees have been authorized and if they have been authorized by rear well then there is a sign off from a government authority there's not really much you can do at this point unless you believe that that those those fees are not warranted and in that case you can collectively approach rear and see if um, if you can uh, if they can figure out a different formula given the level of services but um, but if if there is a sign off from rear that the fees are are what they are and they continue to go up, well, then there is not really much in legal terms you can do. Also, there is a, a practical issue of um, of being able to pursue someone here because even though the service company is the one that's collecting the fees they you you as a tenant don't have a legal standing to pursue them because you don't have a contract with them it would be usually most of the time it would be the uh, the developer that will sign the con- the contract for the service uh, with the service company so therefore it'd be them that would um, would have a legal standing to bring a case to court, for example, challenging those fees. But I don't think this is a scenario here. And unfortunately, we see too many cases like that where tenants or owners of properties are sort of stuck a little bit in no man's land. But but I would just continue to work with Rira because historically they have been helpful.
0: And is there anything that, you know, the homeowners could do together to maybe say, look to the developer, we're not happy with this company that you've employed. Is there any way of changing the contract in the future?
2: Well, absolutely. And remember, this is... This whole conversation is in the context of a jointly owned properties, right? So it's for the owners who are jointly own the properties to decide how the buildings sh- should be managed. So I, that I, I strongly encourage negotiations and, and dialogue at every point in time because ultimately we should all be on the same side, right? It should be in the interest of the owners and the interest of the developer that the building is well maintained. Um, so that, that conversation should always take place before any other legal actions are considered.
1: Legal Expert Mondays, Ludmilla Yamanova from Yamanova and Pleska in JLT. It's been a pleasure having you here. Good to see you. Thank you.
2: Great to be here. Thank you. There's just so much more to hear.
1: Download our podcasts at DubaiEye1038.com.